Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. This week, we're going to continue our conversation on ADHD relationships and putting yourself in the picture. But before we do that, we want to remind you that there are still a couple of openings in our most recent group coaching effort, which is around navigating the lunch counter. So if you are a longtime listener, you've been doing your own understand, own translate work, or you're a new listener, but what we're saying is resonating for you, and you want to take your work that you've already been doing with the podcast to the next level, this is the group for you. To apply for the group, visit the website translatingadhd.com and click on group coaching. Fill out the form at the bottom of the page and either Cam or I will get back to you with next steps. Yeah. So I want to say one more thing about this class. It has very little to do with a lunch counter, folks. It's sort of like, don't get hung up by that term lunch counter. It's our term that describes this phenomenon that happens between where we experience our ADD and what is actually going on, this cause and effect dilemma. So you're already here doing this understand, own, translate work. And as Shelly said, if you want to take it to the next level, get some personal coaching to look at a dilemma that you're down in the valley with and to tether it up to causation. What is actually the executive function misfiring that is happening? that creates this dilemma for you. And when we develop this connection, we develop more understanding and awareness, and then we can anticipate and build out a strategy to head that off. Well said, Cam, and actually a nice tie in to today's topic. So today we're going to be looking at ADHD and personal relationships. Now we're not doing romantic relationships today. We decided that that deserves its own episode. What we are looking at is family, friends, and those relationships that exist outside of your professional world and outside of your primary romantic relationship. And Cam, I'd like to start by sharing a pattern that I noticed of mine quite a long time ago, prior to my ADHD diagnosis, actually. But the pattern was I was a rescuer. Friends would come to me when they were in trouble when they were in crisis or perceived crisis. I was the one they wanted to talk to. I was the one they knew would show up. And hey, to be fair, I'm still this person. Here's the difference. Back then, I noticed something, and I want to tell the story of exactly how I noticed it. I was home with a newborn baby. I had terrible postpartum anxiety and OCD, which I had just figured out. And postpartum OCD, by the way, is terrifying because it, much like traditional OCD, comes with intrusive thoughts, these terrible thoughts of things that you don't want to do, you would never want to do. But the fact that you're having the thought scares you, makes you think, I could do this. I could be this type of person. What do you do with that? Which then causes an anxious response. There's where the compulsions of OCD come from. So this is what I'm going through. And a good friend of mine at the time, one of the few people I had shared what was going on with me with calls, and she's mired in her relationship drama. And it's one of those relationships where the whole thing is just drama top to bottom. She calls me because her and her boyfriend had had a fight. And she spends two hours on the phone with me talking to me about this. Doesn't bother to ask, how am I? How's my newborn? After that phone call, I just took a step back and went, 
what is this? This is not a friendship. I don't know what this is, but this is not a friendship because this person is not showing up for me. She's expecting me to show up for her, but she's not showing up for me. And that was a big moment of learning and something I still pay attention to in my relationships today. Look, friendships, family relationships, they're not intended to be transactional. Sometimes we're the person that needs more. Sometimes we're the person that's giving more. But what I look for now that I didn't look for then is, is there reciprocation there? And before, didn't look for it. And didn't know I had ADHD at the time or how that was getting in the way of my not looking for it. Love, love, love this example. Because what you're doing here is you're sharing with us a way that the dynamic shows up, as you said, the rescuer. And that's what we tend to do is, first of all, ADHD doesn't act by itself. It doesn't act alone. And so, as you said, postpartum depression, these other anxiety or OCD traits that are elevated. And so that ADHD is in the mix and coming in there. But it's often that, as you said, you're someone who's going to help someone out. You're going to pick up that phone and you're going to listen to somebody because that's who you are. What can happen is we will take that out too far. It's like the old TV where we turn the contrast up, where it just becomes so distorted, where helper becomes rescuer. So we do what works. We do what works in the moment. And right there, that was some signal stuff is that rescuer goes and is going for the biggest signal to help someone without and not thinking about the reciprocation. That reciprocation is a more subtle signal. It's attending to needs and boundaries. They're just not going to throw up a flare or put a neon light in that area. So we do what works. Number one, we want to contribute. And so we think that, oh, I can help folks out. So there is rescuer, which is based in these values that are good, but then it's this overextension, overextension to the detriment of the self. That so often we will go and help someone else out, but when we really turn the camera on us, then we go to this, oh, well, you know, I'm not worth it. Or I'll get to myself when I take care of all these other things. And that box is at the bottom of our list. So it's a matter of priority. Yeah, we put ourselves at the bottom of the list and we expect others to put us at the bottom of the list. Now, in the example of the former friend that I just gave, that was true. That was not a good friendship. It was not a healthy friendship. And it was a friendship that I ended shortly after that realization. But oftentimes, there are people in our spheres that want to help that want to show up for us the same way that we show up for them, but we don't ask. We don't access that resource. And there's a big barrier there for us, which is so interesting because what activates our rescuer, our desire to help, it's someone else making an ask, someone else picking up the phone and saying, I need you. Yet we struggle to do that for ourselves. And it's back to being in the limbic system, in the valleys, the stories we're telling ourselves, I'm not worth it. No one else cares about this dilemma. I don't want to bother anybody else. That's when I hear from my clients all the time is I don't want to bother people. I'm going to be bothering them if I reach out and ask for help. And above the lunch counter is the inability or the challenge around creating useful structures is that rescuer is responder, reactor. You see something and you react to that input. Going ahead and identifying 
our need and then articulating that to someone else. When we've got a big or fast brain that is right at the wrong moment is shaken like a snow globe. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, it's really hard to articulate that and identify those things. But in part above the lunch counter at causation is this challenge around creating useful structures around being proactive. Self-care is proactive versus reactive. Can we go in the direction of naming a couple more of these kind of usual suspects, Shelly? Is that good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So mine mine was the rescuer 100%, but I know there are others. <laughs> so as you were saying that, I was sort of thinking about my evolution. <laughs> <laughs> so I started out as the big brain space dude. I was spaceman spiff. That's who I was. I was like, where's Cam? I was always like about seven steps behind my group. We'd be walking down the street and there'd be the pack of boys, you know, in middle school. And I'd be seven to 10 steps behind you. Where's Cam? (laughs) so, So that evolved into, oh, he was just here. That was that guy all through college. It was like, well, he was just here. And that guy and kind of comic relief. Now that comic relief was really serving a need. So I didn't have to look at my own stuff because it was a damn snow globe. I didn't know which way was up. And so for like two years, Shelly, that was like mysterious, not the comic relief, but he was just here sort of like, oh, mystery guy, you know, (laughs) and, and that lasted for two years. And so all the rest of the time is like, where's that dude? Jesus, come on. Really frustrating. Like he said he would be here. Why isn't he a person of his word? What the heck? Cam, another one came up for me as you were describing young Cam, because this has come up in the context of young, young Cam, Cam, young Cam before <laughs> and young Shelly for that matter. And that's the cut and runner. Oh yeah. Like if any kind of complication or, and again, the big signal has faded. I feel like we're getting into more romantic areas, but again, it can come into friendship too. I can articulate how it used to come into friendship for me. So as much as I was the person that would show up for other people and forgive other people, when something went awry in a friendship for me, I didn't feel like I deserved that same consideration. I messed up. I messed this friendship up. It's over. The way that this person now views me is completely different. And this friendship is now over clean slate, right? Like I got to, oh, just might as well just put that in the bin and start over again. Yep. So what else do you got? I got, again, the evolution part. It was sort of like when I learned about my ADD, but I had the awareness, but I didn't have the mechanisms, the control levers. That's that frustrating part of having ADD is you learn about it, but you're still not able to make the change. Then I fell into this sort of needy puppy victim, a little bit, just a little bit. And that's no fun. (laughs) That's the reverse reciprocation. It's like, oh my God, someone who wants to hang out with me. And then folding in like FOMO, the fear of missing out. You're like, oh my God. I'd get out to these groups and it was sort of like, this is not that interesting. I'm really not missing anything here. And that's a whole nother discussion about the lines between neurodiverse and neurotypical. We haven't even gone there yet. But there's just one more that I'm thinking about too, is the bulldozer. Out on the other side of Mount Rainier is the fast brainer, typically not aware of the wreckage, you know, that they're causing and just kind of bulldozing through, you know, we're doing this, I'm doing this. Come on, let's go. So there's the bulldozing. 
there's a pretty good list. And listeners, if you've got one, go ahead and send it to us or lob it into the Twitter channel. Cap, lob it into the Twitter channel? Question yeah. mark. <laughs> hey, hashtag. Hashtag lob it into the Twitter channel. Cam's age is showing you all. It's yeah, okay. I know. It, yeah. We normally cut those out. I think we'll leave that one in. Yeah. <laughs> but you certainly can tweet those at us at Translating ADHD. Or if you're a member of the Discord, you can lob it into oh, there, there one go. of the yes, Discord that's, channels. <laughs> that's, that's my substitution thing that I do. Just substituting. That's what I really meant to say. Can we go out a little bit for some context? Yes, please. So I want to go back to where your realization of not seeing yourself in the picture, kind of being there and here's this person telling you all about their dilemmas and their drama and not checking in with you and your newborn and how you're doing, Shelly. It's sort of like, wait a second, this doesn't seem fair. This isn't seem healthy. This isn't being reciprocated. So this idea of reciprocation, what that is, what we know is that being connected matters. Having community matters. And then what we can have in our mind is sort of how it should be. That's what I used to do is sort of a friendship was this thing that you should have this set of friends. We're doing all this fun stuff. I would say there's a lot of like pressures and messages out there. It's like everyone on the beach with their beer, dancing and having fun. When in fact, really, when you have one or two or three really close friends, and that you're identifying a community that sees you for who you really are. That's where we want to focus this, to step into that picture and own who you are and let go of that one down approach. Because often we engage in relationships, whether it's professional and also personal too, that it's this sort of from a one down place. The other thing we didn't even talk about was that professionally, there's these structures that are in place. They're the, the team objective, my role, our titles, what we're trying to do, the bottom line. And in personal relationships, that's really fuzzy. For me, I just was fascinated. Again, I had this ADD diagnosis and there were certain places where I would go. And it was like that Wegmans moment where I would just shut down. If there was a dinner party, more than seven people, I would shut down because there was more than one conversation. There was more than two conversations. It was typically this sort of three conversations, and I just could not see which one to go into. And there's food on the table, and I got an executive function around the damn food, you know, my manners. I just would go quiet. At a cocktail party? I remember this chip dip moment where I'm standing there and someone came up to me and asked a question. I'm, I'm holding this guacamole on a chip. I'm seeing about seven different options that I could say to this person right now. And I have no idea which one to say. And so I'm just looking at them nodding and they just look at me and they turn away. And I'm just like, okay, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that's sitting there and it's like the freak by the chip dip. <laughs> <laughs> the freak by the chip dip. That's so good. And this speaks to the fact that we are more than our ADD. Previously, I was married to a super introvert, and I used to think I was an extrovert. I figured out that I'm more of an omnivert. I do really well one-on-one -on -one with people or in small, intimate conversations. I like deep conversation. I don't like shallow conversation. And like you, when there's multiple conversations, 
I tend to get anxious. I tend to not know what my role is or how to participate in a larger group. However, my partner, my current partner, who also has ADHD, is a true extrovert. And he shines quite nicely in these situations. He does really well in big groups. So even though he also has ADHD, it shows up and manifests differently because of who he is outside of his ADHD. He's a true extrovert. He feeds off people. He shines in those scenarios that I falter in and falters in some scenarios that I shine in. So I like where you're going in this direction, the sense of your ex as a neurotypical. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even really started to look at this, is this coming together and being in friendship with neurotypicals. Something that I just want to address at a high level right now is there's different people. I see this sort of talk about, let's go and form our own country, you know, our own society, our own neurodiverse society. There's sort of a litmus test there. I'm actually seeing it for coaching. And that's really bothersome to me in the sense of an ADHD coach has to have ADHD. Very bothersome, but that's for another time. So we all have needs. We all have gifts and strengths. And dynamics come in very different ways. Relationships show up and it's just being open to that, but seeing yourself in the picture. We're coming back to those concepts that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks here, not getting lost in the signal. Yeah, to have the signal and have the excitement and the thrill, but not to lose yourself, to see yourself in that picture with the others, whether they're neurotypical or neurodiverse. I'm so glad you brought it back there, Cam, because at the end of the day, this isn't that different of a conversation than professional relationships. The biggest difference is we get to be a choice with our personal relationships in a way that we don't always with our professional relationships. But all of the same pitfalls for us ADHD people exist. Knowing your role is a big one. Knowing your role in this friendship, in this relationship, is something we don't stop to think about when it comes to friendships too often. Something I certainly didn't stop to think about and where I really started to do deep learning here is with my former business partner and still best friend, Jen, who we've talked about a lot on this show. Because at the time that I was figuring out my ADHD, we were brand new business partners and we were good friends. And now I've got this diagnosis and I'm doing this work with a coach trying to figure myself out. And she showed up as a supportive person in a big way. And was a person that was willing to dialogue with me, was willing to let me attempt to translate when translating wasn't so easy. And so now we know our roles in the friendship. She's usually the initiator of contact. And there's a time where I would let that make me feel bad. I never initiate. I never make the plans. I'm a bad friend. Well, no, I never initiate and I never make the plans because we both know that we'll actually do stuff together. If she initiates and she makes the plans, that's an agreement that we have that works well for our friendship. It's not the same agreement that I have with other friends, but it's the agreement that she and I have, and it works well for us. And when it comes to those types of relationships, we don't, we don't stop to talk to people about those things. We assume that we should know how it's supposed to go. 
to us, it can often seem like, well, the neurotypicals know how to do this friendship relationship navigating thing. And I don't know how to do it. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what the rules of engagement are here. So what do I do? I do nothing or I do too much. For those of us that often fail to engage with people, what happens when you finally start engaging? Then you over-engage and then your social calendar is so full. I don't know about you, Cam, but then I look at it and go, what in the ever-living hell did I do to myself and why? Why did I ever think that this much scheduled social time in this period of time was a good idea? Well, I was in the mindset of making up for. I hadn't been reaching out to friends, so boy, I better reach out and reconnect and reestablish with all of them at once. (laughs) I love that how you say like, again, because this is the regulation management piece. It's that amplitude of too much or too little. I think that, you know, we are so busy trying to be on time for something. We don't communicate, hey, I'm going to be about five minutes late or 15 minutes late is, you know, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to be 15 minutes late just to manage those expectations and nip those assumptions that are so easy to build. What we tend to do is we will send a message when the boat's sinking. It's sort of like we send up flares when we really need help. When it's starting to think about what does a mini flare look like? What's a message in a bottle that you can send out just to communicate what's going on? Because this is a brain thing. The brain just starts to make up stuff. And when you're late, just like I was late a lot, like, where's that guy? He's late again. They make up stuff. Oh, he doesn't care. Oh, well, he's not invested. I was invested. I just wasn't there. Once I got there, it'd be fine. But yeah, I had to do my work about being timely and being engaged and showing that I cared. That was my work that I had to do. I want to say one more thing about what you said about Jen and what works for you. What works for me is knowing my context. If I have a sense of the context of the relationship, that's very helpful for me. You know, we had middle school athletics and I couldn't be the parent on the sideline standing doing small talk like you. It's like I was always the coach because I had to be doing something. Whether it was mountain biking, lacrosse, soccer, for me, it's about integrating. I integrate my personal relationships with other areas. Not so it's bleeding over into other things, but I tend to work with people I like. I work with you. I like you. We have a personal relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know, Cam. Good to know, huh? I do. I do like you. You like me. And so kind of an integrating aspect there. And not kind of keeping these things separate because keeping them separate for me is more management. And I love what you said about choice, being at choice. So listeners, I want you to see, we've been talking sort of about these diffuse topics of how we show up, some of the pitfalls in personal relationships with ADHD. But I want you to step back and see the whole picture here. And the bigger thing of all of this is us failing to put ourselves in the picture. So whether we're showing up as the rescuer, whether you're making all of your social plans at once to make up for, who are you not considering when this behavior is happening? You're not considering yourself. You're looking at the other person or other people 
and perhaps looking at them from that one down perspective with all of these stories of what they must think of you or how you think that they perceive you and your behavior is coming from that place. When you start to put yourself in the picture, things change. Now, I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, but when I realized how toxic that friendship that I opened the show with was, I was putting myself in the picture. I was saying, hey, I'm at one of the darkest, most terrible points of my life, and this person doesn't care enough to ask how I'm doing. That's not okay with me, and I can set a boundary here. I don't have to be in this friendship. Nothing says I have to be in this friendship. Realizing that I am a bit of an introvert and that I can schedule social occasions the way that I want to schedule them, or I can plan for social occasions and bigger groups to work for me. Fish tour is always big groups, but I make sure that I plan my individual stuff so that I have enough agency to have my downtime when I need it, to make my own decisions when I want to make them. Because going along with the group does not work well for me. And I know that about myself. But rather than being in the group and being uncomfortable about that, I'm with the group when I'm with the group. And I'm by myself when I'm by myself. And that works much better for everyone. So the moral of the story is put yourself in the picture. I love what you articulated there in the sense of down in a valley. In that moment when you said, this is not working for me. I think that listeners, you, we feel like we're down in the valley and we feel helpless and loss of control. And I can't do anything from this place. But Shelly went from that place of awareness, mixing our valley and our deep pool to this sort of the safety place to get back to, I don't like this, but I can do something about it. I can put a boundary down here. So looking at your relationships and starting with kind of fortifying those boundaries that are maybe like a fence that's in disrepair, just to put that up a little bit, not to make it a wall and impenetrable, but just a boundary. I'm not willing to be treated this way. So well said, Cam. And I will add to that managing expectations and being okay with who you are. I will never be the friend that will text you every day. And unless your name is Jen, especially since I don't have Facebook, certainly not the friend that's going to remember your birthday. That's not me, but I am the friend that will show up for deep conversation. I am the friend that will help you figure out a major dilemma in your own life. I am a friend who will engage in an interest of yours just because your passion makes it interesting to me. So, so often we can be so hard on ourselves because we think we're not doing friendship right. But I've noticed throughout my life, I have many friends that are still in my life today that were in my life back when my ADHD was wholly unmanaged and I had no idea which way was up. And I was not managing myself or my relationships well at all because those people accepted those things about me. I had to come around to a place where I was willing to accept their acceptance. They know I'm not the person that's going to pick up the phone and call every week, but they also know that I'm the person that when we do reconnect, it'll be like we never stop talking. That friendship's still there and it's still important to me. I just show that differently than other people and that's okay. So it's 
connection on your terms. Yeah. This idea of community and having connection and letting it be authored by you, designed by you, and not letting other constructs or other people decide how it's going to be for you, listener. Love that, Shelly. That was wonderful. Thank you. I think that's a good place for us to wrap for today. Really excited to pick this up next week with romantic relationships. Our, our first foray into that topic, though you all have been asking for quite some time. But this is not episode 200, so we're not talking about that one thing, by the way. That was episode <laughs> 200. Right? I'm still buying. It's not about me. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, more looking more and more likely that we'll actually get to that episode too. I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. Happen. So if you like what we're doing here on the show, a few ways you can help us out. The first is to not keep us a secret. That is the number one thing you can actually do to help the show. Share us on social, share us with others in your circle who you know have ADHD, who might have ADHD. Share us with parents or other supportive people of people with ADHD. This show is for them too. The second way is to support the show financially by becoming a patron. Visit the website translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. And for $5 a month, not only are you financially supporting the show, which by the way, you all have been 100% covering the costs of running the show for several months now. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you very much oh for that. That's huge. That's huge for us. You also gain access to our Discord community where you can join our listeners who are doing their own understand, own translate work together there. And finally, you can leave a review wherever you listen. Reviews help other people find the show. They also let other people know that the show is worth listening to. Yeah, so we have the last review on, on the Apple podcast is April 6, folks. So it's almost two months. So we get a review, a couple of reviews there would be lovely. Thank you. Yeah. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>